Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. This is the Chicago City Cast with Danny Burke, presented by Bet Rivers. Happy Monday to everybody out there. Hope you had a great weekend. You enjoyed the Elite Eight through Saturday and Sunday. And then, well, obviously the Sweet 16 on Thursday and Friday. But we were talking mostly on those days. So hopefully you had a good betting weekend, whether it was college basketball, any other matchup. If you bet on the Bulls against the Cavs, my goodness, did they ever make you sweat out that one? But speaking of the Bulls, we'll be previewing their game tonight against the New York Knicks in Madison Square Garden here on the Chicago City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers. I'm Danny Burke, of course, your host at Danny Burke 5, where you can follow me on Twitter. Not only are we going to be talking Bulls and Knicks, we'll talk a little bit about the Blackhawks game tonight. My goodness, did you see that game against the Golden Knights? We've already given up on the Blackhawks. But they blew a three-goal lead in the third. And then they lost in overtime 5-4. to four. Incredible. That's the Blackhawks. But that's neither here nor there. We're talking about it from a betting standpoint. From a fan standpoint, we've given up on this season. So, more or less, we don't really care. Um, but we'll preview the final four early lines. Villanova, Kansas, North Carolina, Duke. People are mad that that is the matchup. Oh, we got all the blue blood. You know, all the top... Don't you want to see the top talent? Isn't that the whole point of the tournament? To weed out the weaker teams? No, we want St. Peter's. Yeah, it's a cool story, but come on. We want the best talent playing against the best talent at this point. Nevertheless, we will preview that game, tell you the opening lines, tell you the championship odds at Bet Rivers, and much more surrounding those two games. But let's begin with this Bulls and Knicks matchup. This is going to be the uh, fourth time that these teams have met. They've played three times already. This is the fourth and final matchup between the Knicks and the Bulls. So the first few games went like this. The Bulls played the Knicks for their fifth game of the season at the United Center, and the Knicks won 104-103. to I remember being pretty mad about that loss because I think the Bulls were down. They came back, didn't have enough. Then a a little bit later, they beat the Knicks 109-103. to I believe that one was at the UC as well. And then the Bulls went to MSG, beat the Knicks 119-115. to So it's been very close matchups in each of the first three games between these two teams. However, they've come at the very beginning of this season. So there's been quite some time in between. It's probably going to be a close one for many reasons. One, just because they play each other fairly well. Two, the Bulls obviously aren't in their strongest 
performance right now or peak, whatever the hell you want to call what they're doing right now. And the Knicks are actually on a three-game winning streak coming into this game. And they're really playing for that play-in spot, right? I mean, there's only a few games, more, well, more than a few, but there's only, let's see, the Knicks have 75 they've played. So they got, what, seven games left. All right, so every game matters for them, literally, considering they are 14 games back from first, and they have to take Atlanta's spot, and the Hawks are nine and a half games back. So the chances they make it are slim to none, but the point is every single game is desperation mode for this Knicks team. But at the same time, it is for the Bulls. They know they've been struggling. They can't go into the postseason with this brutal streak they've been on. I mean, it's been very volatile, but you get what I'm saying. They're 4-6 and six in their last 10 games. They got a big win over Cleveland. Wasn't pretty, but they needed it. They got it. They're three and a half games back from first. But the Raptors are creeping up now four and a half games back. So they're trying to stay ahead of Toronto, who they got one more game against. I think I could be wrong. Let me double check. And then the Cavs are five and a half back at this point. But that was big for tiebreakers and, you know, all those kind of things. But, no, they played the Raptors four times already, right? I feel like we had this exact same discussion last week. But I'm just going to double check. Regardless, because the end of this schedule is all over the place. All right, yeah, they're done against Toronto. They got the Knicks, obviously, tonight, Washington the next game, being tomorrow, and then they go back home against the Clippers, Heat, Bucks, Celtics, Hornets, and then you end at Minnesota. All right, so again, it's it might be that playoff type of atmosphere that Alex Caruso described against Cleveland, and they should approach every single game like that. As crazy as it seems, they could be the number one seed if all went according to plan. Not that that's necessarily what you want. And you're like, Danny, what do you mean that's not what they want? Why wouldn't you? Well, because you might be facing the Nets, all right? Not a favorable matchup out of the playing game. That's the tricky part about the Eastern Conference this year. So there's a lot that goes into this end of the year. And somehow the Celtics are at the top with it. I don't get how Boston's doing what they're doing. But I guess that takes them out of the equation for playing the Bulls almost. Again, like a half game separates the Sixers and the Bucks from the Heat and the Celtics. So it's going to be going up and down. But you don't want to have to play the Sixers in the first round. That would be an absolute nightmare. You don't want to have to play the Bucks in the first round. That would be an absolute nightmare. What you want to have happen is the Bulls to get, ideally, a top three seed, right? Because a one is eight, two against seven, three against six. And if you're the Bulls, you want to somehow get to play the Raptors or the Cavs in the first round. I'm honestly fine with them playing the Celtics. Bad news for Boston. Robert Williams got injured, so he'll be out, I believe, for the rest of the year. Huge injury for their big man. That's detrimental for sure. Right at the worst time. I mean, they're catching their hot streak. They're number one in the East. Playoffs coming. You feel for them. That stinks. But the Celtics have been able to overcome a lot, so maybe they can power through it. But it's it's so tough. I mean, you can't go out there if you're the Bulls and – Obviously, they're not going to go out and like play for seeding. Oh, we want to have this matchup with that team. I mean, maybe if it's the last game of the year, maybe, and they know for sure. But you're going out there trying to win every game. But man, this is insane how it's going to come down. And realistically, for the Bulls, it's going to be the fifth or the sixth seed. I mean, the chances that they could overcome the Sixers, Bucks, Heat, or Celtics, even though they're only a few games, a few and a half games back, it's slim to none because these teams are going to win their final games. There's not that many games left. The Bulls have, what, eight games left? Again, like it, it, they're probably going to end up in the fifth seed. So who is going to get that fourth seed? <laughs> it's not looking good. I just, I hope it's the Celtics. That is your best and most realistic option as at this point. Not only do I think you match up favorably well with Boston in comparison to Miami, Milwaukee, and Philly, without a doubt, you can't stop Bam, you can't stop Giannis, you can't stop Embiid. They'll kill you with the pick and roll. But I trust that the Bulls could at least limit Tatum and Brown, and now that Robert Williams is out, that is huge. So you gotta hope the Bulls can get the Celtics somehow, whether or not they have home court advantage. And they probably won't, but that's what you gotta hope for. But let's focus again on tonight in Madison Square Garden. The Bulls opened up as a four and a half point favorite against the Knickerbockers. Total open 223 and a half. 
So the spread's moved down. Bulls now only laying three in the hook. Total went from 223.5 now to 220. Money line, Bulls minus 155, Knicks plus 130. Guys, if this game had this line like a week and a half, two weeks ago before the Kings game where everything kind of just went to absolute crap, I would play the Bulls on the money line here. This is what we've been doing all season. Bulls is a short favorite. Go money line. But we've been trying to do that at home as opposed to on the road, despite it being against an inferior team. If this was at the United Center and we had this line, yes, I would bet the Bulls on the money line. They cannot be trusted on the road, folks. Yes, they just beat the Cleveland Cavaliers on the road, I understand. Cleveland is incredibly banged up. It's a team you've been better than. And even though they get did get the win, what, they had a 20, maybe double, I don't know what it was exactly, but they had a huge lead, and you only ended up winning by four? Not good. Now, New York's a little bit different. Everybody gets up for MSG. They play a little bit better. Something's different in the air. Players talk about it all the time. And for the Knicks players, of course, they're fighting for their postseason lives, but it's not as unique and as a I guess just as big of a moment for them as it is for the opposing teams. That's why you hear players love it so much and they just only say good things about playing there. And when you're a Nick, yeah, I'm sure it's the same way. But again, it's not as special considering that your home floor. So not only do you have the incentive from the Bulls needing to win, wanting to win, needing it for postseason purposes, but just because of the allure of Madison Square Garden. But again, the Bulls have taken two out of three against the Knicks. They're laying three in the hook right now at Bet Rivers with a money line price of minus 155. They're coming off a dub at Cleveland on Saturday, 98 to 94. And the Knicks on the other side, like I said, they're on a three-game winning streak here. So they've been playing very well, but it's a bad spot situationally. They're on the second leg of a back-to-back. They had to come back against Detroit. By the way, the last three games have been on the road for the Knicks. So they were at Detroit. They did win, but they had to come back, and they won 104-102. to So you factor in that they've been on this road trip. You factor in that they're on the second leg of a back-to-back, and you factor in that they had to come back from a, a deficit. This team could be a tad bit weary coming into this matchup. All right? So that is a benefit for the Bulls. But New York on the second leg of back-to-backs, they're 7 and 3 ATS actually. Interesting enough, straight up, let me see what they are right now. Um second leg of a back-to-back, New York against 7 and 3 ATS, 5 and 5 straight up. Now looking at the Bulls, let's see what they are as a road favorite this year. Yeah, they're 13 and 4 as a road favorite straight up actually. That's surprising to me. I thought it would have been worse. But I guess in those games, they've been dogs for the most part because they haven't been that great against top teams. Um, as an away favorite, ATS, Chicago is 9-7-1, So not too shabby. Could be a very good spot for the Bulls, but they'll make it closer than it needs to be, presumably. Let's look at the advantages and disadvantages for the Bulls. We'll start with the disadvantages. The Knicks are second in free throw rate. Oh my goodness. You know that's the killer for the Bulls because they're 19th defensively. That's where these teams have advantages because they'll get to line 25 or they'll get to the line 25 or more times, whereas the Bulls maybe get their 12. So you can't let that kill you. Also, 37.3% of the Bulls shot attempts come from mid-range. Second most in the NBA. We talk about this ad nauseum. But the Knicks are third in mid-range defense, limiting opponents to making just over 40% of their shots from mid-range. So that could hinder the Bulls a little bit. Maybe not, but still could be a disadvantage. The Knicks, their shot selection, most of them come from beyond the arc. 39% to be exact, seventh highest in the NBA. And the Bulls, we know, struggle defending the three. They rank 27th. In that category, allowing opponents to connect on about 37% of their three-point attempts. Now, just to throw this out there for some more perspective, because I talk about these numbers a lot. The Bulls are 10th in offensive points per 100 possessions and 6th in offensive effective field goal percentage, courtesy of cleaning the glass. Knicks defensively, 13th and 7th. So they match up fairly well. 
But where could the Bulls thrive? Well, as we always say in similar type of situations, it's in their transition offense where they're second best, and the Knicks are 25th in transition defense. So again, this is a spot where you need to capitalize on that, but we've said this so many times for the Bulls, usually it's against top teams, and they fail to do so. Luckily for you, the Knicks aren't a top team, so you should be able to take advantage in that spot, you would hope and you would imagine. Now also, the Knicks offensively going back to what they can or can't do offensively. In the half-court set, they're really poor. I mean, they're 25th, which is good in the sense that the Bulls' defense is not the best, as we know. They're 24th in half-court defense, but naturally, that's not fully adjusted to having the players back in Patrick Williams and Alex Caruso. The Knicks offensively 20th in points per 100 possessions and 26th in effective field goal percentage. Bulls are 21st in both. So again, you can look at these numbers for the Bulls and realize they're struggling defensively, and they are. You can't give up a lot of points to the Pelicans in those type of games. We get it, even with Caruso and Patrick Williams back. But what they did to Cleveland is what I imagine they could be capable of doing against his poor offense in New York. The Pelicans have some scores with C.J. McCollum in the mix. He had Larry Nance back. You're missing Ingram, so there's no excuse, but... And they let a lot of role players dominate. And that's what you can't have happen with the Knicks. You can't have these guys hitting a bunch of shots from deep. you got to limit their starting core. And you can't have that one random guy go off and just murder you at the worst times. That's what's been an Achilles heel for the Bulls in a lot of games. But the Bulls themselves need to have that bench production. They need their role players to step up. We talked about it with Kobe White. And with Kobe White against the Pelicans, yes, he stepped up. Dropped, what, 23? But they lost. Doesn't matter. In the game against the Cavs, Aldi brand Kobe White back at it again because DeRozan was back. I'm telling you guys, I am just honestly realizing this right now because I forgot to look at it. He only thrives in the games where they are missing someone. You get Caruso, you get Patrick Williams back, he stinks. DeRozan's out for a game against the Pelicans. Oh, he drops 23. He's back against the Cavs, and Kobe White in 20 minutes gets no points. Zero. It's incredible, and it is uncanny. Oh, a three from the floor. I get it. Only three shots, but you need more productivity from Kobe freaking White. Come on, man. Caruso got 10. DeSumo got 11. They're not even scores. They're more defensive oriented. And that's the main reason you're out there to be the sixth man off the bench and you can't get any points in 20 minutes. Same crap is going to happen tonight. He's not going to get probably more than I'd put his. Well, I don't even know what his over under that because they don't have it at Bet Rivers. If I were the odds makers, I would probably set it because he still has a capability to go off. We all understand this. I would probably set his over-under at like, I mean, me being kind of just an a-hole and like calling him the Aldi brand version of Kobe White, I would set it at like nine and a half, but realistically, I'd probably put it at 12 and a half. I mean, look at this, zero, 23, five, two, 14, 12, 13, nine, eight, 19, three, 15 in the month of March. You can't have that volatility. You can have the Sacramento 13, then the Utah 12, then the Phoenix 14. That's what we expect out of you, Kobe. But you can't have the 2, 5, oh, 23 and a loss, and then 0. Not going to cut it, especially in the postseason. Keep an eye on him. We'll see what we'll see how he does. But I'm telling you, Aldi brand version Kobe White is a real thing. But let's look at what some of these other players have done in the past matchups. DeMar DeRozan versus the Knicks. 34 points, 20 points, 31 points in three of the games they have played. Levine has dropped 27, 25, and 21. Julius Randle has dropped 30, 13, and 34. Now again, remember, they're on the second leg of a back-to-back, and I believe he's a little bit banged up dealing with kind of a sore quad. So I would look to bet his prop over 21 and a half. But again, it's not the best spot for him right now. Also, you got Patrick Williams. You got Tristan Thompson. 
you didn't have Tristan Thompson when you played, and I don't think you had Patrick Williams in the last two out of three matchups. So it could be a little bit of a different dynamic for Randall. But I'm looking at a few props here, folks. And starting with our guy, Zach Levine, is who I want to tell you who or what I'm betting with him, rather. And that's going to be his points prop over 23.5 at Bet Rivers. Now, DeRozan's also at 23.5. And, and I get it. We all love betting DeRozan's overs. But Levine has been the more consistent scorer as of late. Okay? He's averaging 28 points per game in the last four games compared to the whole season where he's putting down 25 per contest. And then against the Knicks, throughout those three matchups, he's averaging over 24 points per game. And he's gone over it in two out of the three games. Remember, 27 and 25. And at the Garden, the one game they did play at MSG, he scored the most, 27. I'm telling you, guys get up to play at the Garden. Now this season, in totality, he's gone over 23.5 points in 37 out of 61 games, 61%. Now, again, Levine not only stands out just because of what he's done against the Knicks, just because of what he's done lately, but it's also his shot selection. Now, the Knicks are a very sound defensive squad. They're very even keel in terms of their percentages and stats where they limit the amount of shots made. Mid-range, rim, three-point, what we talk about all the time. So that's shot accuracy, the actual, the actual percentage of makes. But what about the attempts? Where are they getting shot on the most? Meaning where their opponent's getting potentially the best looks, hence why they're shooting it there frequently. Well, the Knicks are allowing opponents to take over 33% of their shots at the rim, which is 16th in the NBA, so bottom half technically. And then from three-point land, 40%, which is 28th. So not good from three. Well, if you know Levine... A lot of his shots come from deep. 37% of his shot attempts come from three, while 34% come at the rim. The rim and beyond the arc are his two highest shot volume areas. So Levine should have a good opportunity to score a lot tonight in comparison to some of these other bold players. And I get that DeRozan will have his looks. And maybe DeRozan is the one to go off tonight. But I think you have a little bit more to back you up with Levine as of late. Again, DeRozan's done very well against the Knicks, too. I mean, he's dropped 30-plus in two out of the three games. And the bad game, so to speak, relatively, was 20 points. So it wouldn't surprise me if they both go over. But because of what's been happening lately, I got to give a slight edge to Levine here. He's been taking over. He knows that, yes, DeRozan obviously has been the closer. He had his MVP spurt. But Levine is the most talented guy on this team in terms of athleticism, ceiling, potential. He's supposed to be the number one guy. It's not a bad thing that DeRozan has been or can be. But, you know, Levine is the most talented guy all throughout. The most athletic guy all throughout. You want Levine to be the number one guy. It's great if DeRozan is, that's fine if you're winning. But Levine knows that this should be his team. And it's, again, it's no slight against DeRozan. But if you're building toward the future, you build around Zach Levine and you want him to be the guy. If it's DeRozan right now, that's fine. Levine needs postseason experience, late game experience, all those things. And it's okay if it switches off. But again, you're kind of seeing Levine come about despite the injury stepping up because he's ticked off. He's frustrated. He knows he's got to take over and be more aggressive. And I think you'll see that tonight, especially because they're at MSG where he had his most points against the Knicks, 27. In comparison to the two games at the United Center, they step up a little bit more so. So I am playing Zach Levine over 23.5 points tonight, minus 113. The other bet that I pulled the trigger on, let's go to the Knicks side of things. Alec Burks, one and a half three-point field goals over minus 139 at Rivers, unders plus 110. Now, Burks is averaging 1.8 three-point field goals made on over four and a half attempts per game. 48% of his shot attempts come from three-point land, and he's making 40% of them. Now, he's played in 74 games, and he's gone over one and a half threes in 37 out of 74, 50%. He's gone over it in the last six consecutive games, and he's gotten three threes exactly in the last five consecutive games. So he has been on a roll. Now, versus Chicago in three games, he's only gone over it once, and that's when he went two of three. The other games, he went one of three and one of five. 
But again, remember the Bulls allowing opponents to make 37% of their shots from deep, 27th worst. I like Alec Burks here. I know you're laying minus 139, but look, at I mean, he's been on fire as of late, and he'll get his opportunities against his Bulls team. So I'm playing Alec Burks over one and a half, three-point field goals made at minus 139. Line's moving up quick. It's even higher than that a lot of books. So at Bet Rivers, make sure you check it out. Another guy on the Knicks that I thought was very intriguing for his three-point field goals made, Evan Fournier. Kind of goes off randomly, but he's consistently shooting well from deep. Now, here's the issue. His number's higher, two and a half, but it should be. But the price is killer on the over. I mean, minus 155. It's in minus 170s at some books. The under is plus 120 or so. But Fournier is averaging over three threes per game on about eight attempts. 62% of his shots come from deep. He's making 39% of them. Now, this season, he has played in 73 games. He's gone over two and a half threes and 44 out of 73 games, hitting at a 60% clip. During March, in 14 games, he has gone over two and a half threes in 10 out of 14 games. Most recently, the good news is he's taken 10 three-point attempts in the last four out of five games. The one game he didn't, he took nine attempts from deep. So they are coming in often, frequently. He's loving shooting the deep ball. And he's going to love it again against the Bulls team that slacks in defending the three. However, he's one of two going over this against the Bulls. 0-3 one game, 4 of 10 the other game. Remember, he's taken 10 three-point attempts in the last four out of five games. Did it once against the Bulls. And when he did, he knocked down four of them. So two and a half is a number. Will he go over? Yeah, more often than not, you know what? Fournier will probably go over this mark. But to be honest, I'm not loving lane minus 155. And that's like the best price out there. If it were to come down to minus 135, even maybe minus 140, then you've got my attention. But I don't want to lay that much, man. And you know what? If I were to get involved, I'd probably throw like half a unit on it maybe. So we're betting the risk, not betting to win more. So Josh Applebaum talks about all the time. Like if it's your standard unit, say it's like a hundred bucks, you know, you bet a hundred on everything, right? Not to win a hundred, but you're betting a hundred to win whatever the odds payout is. So yeah, maybe you bet 50 and you get a little bit less naturally, but you know, it's a good play, but in the case that it doesn't hit because you're laying so much, eh, you don't want to put as much at risk. That's kind of my thought process with such a higher price. That would be my thing because yes I think he goes over and there's a great chance but I'm not necessarily just obsessed with the idea and in love with it that he will to where I'm willing to lay enough on a full unit at minus 155 for this prop because the Bulls have played fairly well defensively it's not like he dom like like one of two right and I get it one game I mean it's only been two total but still so that's why I like Burke so a little bit more I get it Fournier is getting more shot attempts but it's a higher prop number, and it's a way high, not way higher, but it's higher in terms of how much juice he got to lay. And Burks has been more consistent as of late two, and you're only getting one and a half, or you're only having to go over one and a half. So that's why I'm favoring Burks more so here because of the price, because of what has happened as of late, him going over it the last six games. I get it. Fournier's gone over it in 10 out of 14. That's pretty damn good. But Burks has been a little bit more consistent, and you're not paying as much, and you're getting a shorter number of one and a half in comparison to two and a half. So for those reasons, I am playing Alec Burks over one and a half three-point field goals made with a very strong lean to Fournier over two and a half. If you're comfortable laying it, then yeah, go for it. But my official bets will be Burks over one and a half three-point field goals made and Zach Levine over 23 and a half points in this matchup. As for the overall game... We talked about, I mean, yeah, I would want to bet the Bulls here, but I just don't want to get my heart broke, guys. It's as simple as that. Now, I mean, yes, there is validity to that as a Bulls fan, but from an unbiased betting perspective, it's a tough spot. The market's going against the Bulls. Probably will go even more so. Have some patience, perhaps. You'll get a better number even before the game. I know I always say in-game, but probably before the game, too. And, yeah, just I'll wait. I'll see if the Bulls look like they got it under control. And yeah, I probably will wait in game. I think the Bulls do win this game. I do. But you got to have Patrick Williams step up. 
You need a role player to step up. Caruso getting 10 points, that's beautiful. We talked about it. He was struggling offensively. Great. Ayodesumu, same thing. Got 11 points in the last game. Great. Vooch, Levine, DeRozan did their jobs. You need Patrick Williams. You need Kobe White to step up to be a complete team that can be relied upon in these tough road games. So if it looks like that is coming to fruition, the Bulls should be able to get the dub against the Knicks. Maybe I'll change my mind and bet it pre-flopped. If it gets really low, I doubt it will. Otherwise, I will wait to see what is happening on the court. Should be a fun game nevertheless. All right, let's move on to some hockey. The Blackhawks got a game tonight at the United Center. They got a favorable one against the Sabres. Nothing's really favorable for the Blackhawks because they dished out everybody. But after doing that, they won at Anaheim and then at Los Angeles on the second leg of a back-to-back, so that was impressive. And then they're beating VGK 3-0 going into the third, and you blow a three-goal lead. Again, not that we're sweating out every game unless you're betting it, but from a fan standpoint, not that we care too much, but it's still just like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm at a bar watching the games on Saturday night, being the March Madness games, and I see the highlights from the Blackhawks game, and I'm like, oh, 3-0, nice. And then I see the final score at the bottom before the end of the highlights. I was like, you're kidding me, right? They blew this game? And that just seems like classic Blackhawks at this point, but yeah, it is what it is. But they got the Sabres tonight. Sabres coming off a loss versus the Capitals and at the New York Rangers most recently. Uh, the Sabres, they've been fairly decent as of late. They've played beyond regulation in five straight games. 3-0-2 in that stretch. And in the month of March, Buffalo is 7-3-2. One shy of their total win output in December, January, and February combined. Incredible. Sabres averaged 2.65 goals per game, defensively allowing 3.5, very similar to the Blackhawks, who also averaged 2.65 goals per game and allowed 3.4 per contest. Projected starting goalies looks like Dustin Tokarski for the Sabres will be tending the pipes potentially if it's not Craig Anderson, the Park Ridge, Illinois native. He's the second stringer being Tokarski, so maybe it is Anderson, but if it's Tokarski, which is what some of these sites are saying it could be, 6-9-5 is his overall record. 3.07 goals against average, 91% with his saves, one shutout. One of those shutouts has been on the road where he's a little bit better, not in the record column per se, but 2.77 goals against average, 92% with his saves, record of 2-5-2. Kevin Lankinen, presumably going to be the starter for the Blackhawks. 4-8-5, 3.50 goals against average, save percentage of 89% for Lankinen overall. However, at home, he is 3-1-1, 2.73 goals against average, 91% save. He's been insanely better at home, granted a small sample size, but in comparison to on the road, folks, 3-1-1, 2.73, 91% at home. On the road, he's 1-7-4, goals against average, 88% with his saves. So if there's a time to back Lincoln, and it's at home against a crap Sabres team, albeit they have been doing better as of late, but still, this would be the spot for the Blackhawks. Hey, maybe they respond after that embarrassing loss, or maybe they know nothing's going for them in this season. They've dished out people. They had a terrible loss. They just hang it up. It's hockey, though. They don't really do that too much. The line movement has gone towards Chicago, folks. They opened up minus 154, Buffalo plus 128. Total opened at 6. Now at Bet Rivers, you get the Blackhawks laying minus 165, the Sabres plus 140. Total still at 6, a little bit of juice on the under, minus 112. Uh, Puck line, if you don't want to lay 165 with the Blackhawks, which can't blame you for not wanting to do that, you can get them plus 145 on the puck and the hook. Sabres catching it, minus 177. If you're looking to back the Blackhawks tonight, again, you don't want to trust a crap team and lay that much with them. So maybe just do the puck line, plus 145. I do lean Blackhawks, but you know I'm not going to bet them. Don't want to bet on two crap teams. But that game, dropping puck at center ice, 7.30 p.m. Central Time at the United Center. All right, taking a quick break here. Coming back, let's preview the final four. Villanova, Kansas, 
North Carolina and Duke meet for the first time in tournament history. Can Coach K move on to the championship and end his career as a champion? Most people don't want to see that, but hey, we're just looking to make some money. Let's talk about that next right here on the Chicago City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers. No football, no problem, because Bet Rivers Sportsbook serves up tennis, soccer, hockey, college, pro basketball, and much more. So don't miss out on Bet Rivers' many daily specials or try your hand at live player props or same game parlays. No matter what you bet on, you can count on your withdrawal approval happening fast, with more than 80% of withdrawals approved instantly at Bet Rivers. So get started with life after football with the Bet Rivers app. We are down to the final four to look forward to for March Madness, and, well, I'm pretty excited about it, I'm not going to lie. I took a little bit of a flyer on Kansas during the course of the season at 10-1. to 1. All right, you know I don't do college basketball that much, but I was listening to some people talk about it. I was like, all right, you got me convinced on Kansas. I'll get involved in one college basketball future. It really wasn't that great a value considering, I'm going to be honest, I didn't shop too much. I just took it, and they were 7-1 going into the tournament. So not that big a difference. Nevertheless, I've got a decent amount to gain if Kansas can go the whole way. Not only for that bet, and I know people don't care, but I think in maybe one bracket and in another one where it's a unique format, I could benefit from the Jayhawks. So uh, full disclosure, I will be rooting for Kansas Throughout the remainder of the tournament, I was rooting for him before because I had him winning in a majority of my brackets. But I'm just saying, if you see me bitching on Twitter, which I always do for college basketball especially, and in this Kansas-Villanova game, it's because I want the Jayhawks to win. And maybe they're worth a bet. Villanova is a very well-oiled machine. Fantastic coach and Jay Wright. Championship experience. They do things the right way in Villanova, it seems. Or at Villanova. They get to the free throw line. Well, more so they take advantage of the free throw opportunities. They don't turn the ball over too much. It's just a clean team, and they build up, and they don't have one and duns as frequently, right? But, man, Kansas is looking great. Kansas is looking very, very strong. The issue for Villanova, as we know, their second leading score, Justin Moore, diagnosed with a torn Achilles. That just absolutely blows. I mean, for these kids to get to this point, Villanova looking great, and to have that happen, I mean, you just feel for the guy that's that's really awful. But can Villanova do enough without him to get past Kansas? The market doesn't necessarily think so. Three in the hook is where it opened in favor of the Jayhawks. Now it's up to four and a half at Bet Rivers. Granted, some places do have four, but Bet Rivers has Kansas minus four in the hook. Juices on Villanova catching it, minus 113, so it could come back down. But Moneyline has Nova plus 175 as the dog. Kansas minus 220. Total open 132, now at 133. How did they get here? Villanova beat Delaware 80-60. to Then Ohio State 71-61. Then Michigan 63-55. And then Houston 50-44. Tweeted out we were playing Villanova plus 3 on Saturday afternoon. And uh, it's easy to say in hindsight. I understand, but come on. I mean... Did that Villanova team really deserve to be? I thought they were going to open as a favorite in the first place, and then the market went against them all the way up to three. I was like, I will gladly take this Nova team as an underdog, and Jay Wright as an underdog. Yes, Houston looked good, but they had more of a favorable schedule to get here, in my opinion. Again, what? Uh, Illinois, a team that wasn't even that good. So I, that wasn't an impressive win to me. The Arizona one, sure. But Arizona looked like crap in that game. Villanova was not going to make those mistakes all the other teams made. So they get the outright win. So we catch that, which was nice. Hopefully you're able to follow. If not, at Danny Burke 5, where I tweeted it out, where you get links to everything else. You know the drill. But uh, moving on to Kansas then, they beat Texas Southern 83-56. to They beat Creighton 79-72. to Providence 66-61. to And then they dismantled the Hurricanes, who was a team that I was rooting for all the way up to the Elite Eight, where I had them beating Iowa State to get there. And we bet the Hurricanes. But Kansas took care of business 76-50. to So again, more on Justin Moore, by the way. He averaged 15 points per game, 5 rebounds, and over 2 steals per game. Or maybe it was assists. I think I meant to write down assists. But that would be impressive if it was steals. Um, but yeah, that's going to be a big bummer. Justin Moore being out gives advantages to Kansas naturally. 
Now, Kansas in the tournament averaging 76 points per game. Nova averaging 66 points per game. Field goal percentage, Kansas shooting over 45% from the floor. Villanova shooting 40.4%. Beyond the arc, Kansas shooting over 35% from three. Nova shooting over 34%. 34.3 to be exact, 35.3 for Nova or uh, for Kansas. Free throw shooting. This is why I love Nova. They're hitting 90% of their free throws as a team. Incredible. But the thing is, they only get about 15 free throw attempts per game. Now, Kansas is an abysmal free throw shooting team, which pisses me off, and I hate that the team I need to win stinks at free throws. They're getting to the line 21 times per game, which is great, but they're only knocking down 67.5%. Huge discrepancy if Nova can get to the line. But where Kansas comes back is the fact that they rebound the ball 44 times per game. The criticism of Nova is, oh, they don't have big bodies. That's why Houston will win. And yeah, I get it. I mean, they only average 35 rebounds per game. So that's a huge advantage for Kansas. But against Houston, for example, I, again, they were going to find a way to work against it. But now against Kansas, when you're missing a top guy and more, I just don't think it can happen. Now, Nova, again, a clean team. Only turned the ball over 8.7 times throughout the last three games per game. Kansas, 9.3 times the last three games. Defensively, both have been strong. Nova is allowing opponents to average 55 points per game this tourney, whereas Kansas, opponents averaging about 60 points per game this tournament. Look, Kansas should be able to get the job done. Nova will make it close, will make it tough, but the absence of Justin Moore will prove to be the difference maker. The bigger bodies in this game for Kansas will prove to be the difference maker. The fact that Kansas can shoot lights out like you saw at the beginning of the second half, get in transition and go, that will be the difference maker. Now, Nova can hang if, one, they find a way to box out. They force Kansas to shoot themselves in the foot, and Nova gets to the line more often than they have before. Otherwise, it's Kansas or nothing for me, folks. I'll wait to see if we can get somewhat of an appropriate money line number. I doubt it. But if there's fours out there by game time, might end up laying that or wait in game. You know what I do. Sorry, it's just the best strategy, I think. But Kansas should win. As for North Carolina and Duke... Look at this. I mean, talk about narrative written all over it. Coach K not only advancing to a Final Four in his final season, but he's playing against North Carolina for the first time and the team that gave him his final home loss and final regular season loss in general, like his final home game, North Carolina won. So much around this matchup, it's incredible. And yeah, it would have been funny if St. Peter's were to beat Duke. That wouldn't have happened. Come on. I mean, you saw them play North Carolina. They got, they finally came back to reality. But man, this is great. And again, because I, I saw someone on Twitter talk about, and they're like, no offense. Look, I want to see the best play the best instead of the underdogs, the Cinderella teams go deep, which is true to a certain extent. Like, if St. Peter's were to advance, yes, it would be incredible. I think we'd all enjoy it. But to see them, like, get smacked against Duke if that happened, that wouldn't have been fun. Kind of like them against North Carolina, right? I still think it's a good story, and that's why March is great, because you get the underdog. So I'm not, you know, old man, like, no, I want to see the best team. No, you want to see Cinderella's. That's the beauty of March Madness. But to a point, those people are right. Like, you want to see the North Carolina-Duke matchup more so. This is fantastic for college basketball. A sport that doesn't usually have that many storylines because there's so much change year after year. But the betting odds for this one had Duke as a four-point favorite at the opener. They're four right now at Bet Rivers. Juice a little bit on Duke, minus 112, so it could go to four on the hook. Moneyline has Duke minus $2, North Carolina plus 163. Total open 149.5, now up to 150.5. Juice is on the over, minus 113. Yeah, probably like the over there. Now, Duke beat North Carolina in their first matchup this season, 87-67. But then, of course, North Carolina won at Cameron, 94-81. How did they get here throughout the tournament? North Carolina beat Marquette, 95-63. They beat Baylor in overtime, 93-86. They beat UCLA, 73-66, and then killed St. Peter's, 69-49. Duke 
beat Cal or Cal State Fullerton 78 to 61, Michigan State 85 to 76. Texas Tech 78 to 73. Then they had another clean win against Arkansas 78 to 69. Now, furthermore, into the stats between these two teams, Duke averaging 80 points per game. North Carolina, though, averaging 82 and a half. Now, this is just throughout the tournament. But here's where the big differences come. Duke is shooting 54% from the floor and 39% from deep. And over 86% from the free throw line, folks. That's fantastic. North Carolina shooting 44% from the floor. Remember, 54% for Duke. They're shooting 35.4% from three is North Carolina. But Duke's shooting 39% from the free throw line. North Carolina 71%. Duke is over 86%. Now, the advantage for North Carolina is on the boards. 48 per game. Duke just getting 34, so that could be an issue. But North Carolina turns the ball over more the last three games, 12.3 times per contest. Duke turning it over 11.7 throughout the last three games. Here's something else that's interesting while looking up these stats. Duke is averaging 1.44 points per shot, which is the third highest in the tourney. North Carolina getting 1.28 points per shot, tied for 7th best. Here's another difference, but on the side of North Carolina now. They are averaging 22 free throws per game, where Duke is just over 16.3. So yes, Duke is a lot higher shooting percentage from the free throw line, but more attempts are coming to the Tar Heels. That doesn't necessarily mean it's better, because you can follow them. Late game things, maybe that's why the stats are different, but also just more so... If they can't knock it down, it don't matter, right? Quality over quantity in that sense. Uh, defensively, North Carolina, their opponents averaging 66 points per game this tourney. Duke's opponents averaging 70 points per game this tournament. I lean toward Duke here, but you got to imagine, I mean, like most Duke games, except for their first game against Cal State Fullerton and against Arkansas, you're going to get an opportunity to get a better in-game number rivalry game they've played each other twice so much on the line it's not going to be a blowout but if it is maybe not till late it'll be a back and forth effort and there will be a time to get a better number i'd lean duke again better playmakers coach k narrative revenge from them coming to duke and beating them or yeah they beat duke and Co coach k's last home game like they're going to be even more pissed than usual I mean, you obviously have the motivation to play. It's a Final Four. But there's that added anger from the side of Duke. Everybody giving them crap. Oh, they couldn't give Coach K a win in his final My good, Like, this is amazing that this matchup's happening. But it sets up perfectly for Duke. You gotta figure. The Coach K narrative. Them losing to North Carolina in that final regular season game narrative. So much on the line for Duke here. Maybe it's too much pressure in that case, but I really don't think so. I think Duke wins. I think Kansas wins, and I hope Kansas wins the whole thing. The odds for the championship now has Duke as the short shot at Bet Rivers, plus 135. Kansas is 2-1. Villanova is 5-1. North Carolina is plus 550, which is funny because North Carolina is a bigger dog to Duke than Nova is to Kansas. It's a 50-cent difference, and Nova's missing a top guy, so I get it. Well, no, I don't get it, actually. It should be it should be flipped. It should be North Carolina's a shorter shot, I would think. I do think Nova's a better team than UNC. But without their player more, obviously, that takes a little bit of a hit. So I'm a little shocked to see North... I feel like they should both be 5-1, to one, if anything. But that's just my two cents. If you're taking anything on the flyer right now... I mean, which one, you think North Carolina or Villanova have a better chance of winning their games? And whichever team you think is it, I would probably take a flyer on them if you want more value. Now, if you think it's going to be Duke or Kansas, I mean, here's the thing. Do your handicap, and if you have enough conviction as to who you think the championship is going to be, take them to win it now because those odds are not going to be like that. Right, even with the underdog, say it's Kansas and Duke, right? Probably comes down to like a pickup. You're not gonna get two to one on Kansas. You're not gonna get Duke plus one thirty-five, and maybe they put Duke as the favorite, considering that they're plus one thirty-five and Kansas is two to one. So you're definitely not gonna get plus money with Duke, and I'm, you're obviously not gonna get 
two to one odds on Kansas or five to one or better on Nova North Carolina. So there is ample opportunities here to get some good value. Maybe not ample, but there's a decent amount at least, depending on how you believe it goes down. I think it's going to be Kansas and Duke. Now, what I might do, which wouldn't be a bad idea. So I told you, you know, if you have brackets on the line, if you had futures, I got a Kansas future at 10 to 1. If I want to hedge a little bit, now would be the time because I think Duke's going to win, right? Now would be the time to take Duke plus 135 as opposed to getting them at maybe even money or laying a little bit of a uh, little bit of a price. So I probably will end up doing that. And if North Carolina wins, well, they'll be an underdog in that game, in my opinion, against Kansas, if that were to be the matchup. So I could still get a plus price on North Carolina. But just to be safe, hey, maybe you take the plus 550 as well, right? You've got great hedging opportunities right now if you have, say, a future on Villanova or Kansas. I know our guy Ryan Rostin had Nova like 28, 27 to 1. You bet I'm sure he's going to, I mean, I know he's letting it ride out. He's not going to sell it. But now with the injury, I mean, maybe you do. I'll have to ask him, but tune in the Philly City Cats if you want to hear more. But there are a lot of unique ways you can go about betting this Final Four. I mean, it's great. So, I, again, I if you're in a similar spot as me, I'll probably look to bet Duke now for a little bit. Just to probably cover my bet. Maybe. We'll see. Or, or maybe I'll get close to it. And then, because you don't want to, I mean, they still have to get past North Carolina. So maybe do a little bit now for the plus money. And then if they get by, do a little bit more. Because they're not going to be that big of a favorite if they're a favorite. And then you could cover the rest. Because you know the security of them actually being in the championship game. So that could be a way to go about it as well. There's a lot of different ways to approach it, and that's what makes it good if you get those futures in and your team kind of rides through. So hopefully we can even get Kansas there in the first place, right? They still got to get past Villanova. But I definitely feel stronger about Kansas over Nova than I do Duke over North Carolina. But I do believe it's going to be Kansas and Duke, and I'm hoping Kansas goes all the way. Let me know what you think, though. I'll have a little bit of patience with these lines as we get closer to the weekend, see where they move, see where the market is going. And then we'll look to bet it probably come Friday. But Rock Chalk Jayhawk, baby, I'm all on board. Let's get it, Kansas. Sorry if you got a future you rent for other teams, but, man, I'm just hoping we could get that baby home. All right, folks, thank you, as always, for tuning in to another edition of the Chicago CityCast presented by Bet Rivers. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at DannyBurke5. I'll probably be complaining and uh, live-tweeting through this Bulls-Knicks game tonight. And remember, by the way, those two plays we had, Levine over 23.5 points and Alec Burks over 1.5 three-point field goals made. Best of luck with whatever you are playing, especially if you're tailing my bets. Always appreciate the support, not only for that, but listening here and to rush hour be sure to check it out monday through friday 5 to 6 p.m central time vsin.com fubo tv sling youtube tv xfinity app iHeartRadio, so wherever you get your podcasts and the marquee sports network we'll catch you tomorrow but thanks as always best of luck and take care